This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We are picking up in our Proverbs series in chapter 13, excuse me, chapter 23. Proverbs 23:15 is where I'd like to begin today. Solomon says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. We, in our last discussion, talked about corporal punishment and the Bible's prescription for corporal punishment and what that looks like and what it should be motivated by and comparing it to the discipline of our Heavenly Father. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today in some to some degree, not as much detail as we did last week. So I would point you back to that previous podcast if you'd like to hear more about corporal punishment and what the Bible has to say about that. But I want to look at the, the second aspect that Solomon mentions here in verse 15, where he says, Reproof, the rod and reproof, give wisdom. So corporal punishment must be accompanied and complemented with verbal instruction. This reproving that Solomon describes, both the rod and reproof, are to be used by mom and dad to train their child effectively or children effectively. And we see this as a balanced approach. And we see this balanced approach in our Heavenly Father as well. Proverbs 3, for example, and verses 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12 say this, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And if we just take a moment to ask the question, well, how does God do that? How does he reprove? Well, it is through the power of His Word. It's through His Word in 2 Timothy 3.16 that He's breathed out. We find that has the power to uh, instruct and train in righteousness and convict and, and correct. It can train us in the way that we need to go. And it has so many ways of doing that. Uh, but it's ultimately revealing the will of our Heavenly Father. And as we compare that to our own lives, well, then we are either affirmed or we're indicted and we're challenged or we're corrected. You know, it changes us only insofar as we're willing to submit to it. But the point is, is that he communicates that will through the word. And it is by virtue of our going to that word and uh, and, and applying our minds to it that we receive his instruction. We receive it in the form of reproof and training and, and so on and so forth. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. So likewise, then. Likewise, parents, we must use our words to communicate God's will to convict and correct our children. So we have to be the enforcers of that, just as God certainly is with his word and his enforcement and his sovereignty will ultimately be vindicated in final judgment. But he has authorized parents to enforce their will and and also use speech and communicate his uh, His will to to correct children, to train children, to convict children. So we must be careful at, the, at this point, I think, because we need to make sure um, when we reprove or reproach our children that we understand it doesn't mean shouting at them. And it doesn't mean, you know, outbursts of wrath to use biblical language. So we're emotional beings. We're created in the image of our Heavenly Father who also knows what anger is and grief is and disappointment and these kinds of things. It's it's part of our being made in the image of, of God, 
uh, being having that capacity to feel these things, having the capacity to love and to choose and so on and so forth. So, uh, but unlike our God, we can allow our anger to control us. And in so doing, we can sin in the process, not just in, in specifically in the regard as we're talking about it. Our topic of child rearing and administering discipline or or reproof, but in but in any aspect of of life, you know, on the job or driving down the road, uh, we can get angry, and anger can control us. Any emotion, for that matter, and we end up doing something we regret later, and we end up sinning. Ephesians four twenty six, for example, Paul says, "Be angry, yet do not sin." So. It's not the emotion itself that is sinful. It's our our lack of control of it. It's it's submitting to that emotion rather than to the will of God. Even Jesus was angry. Jesus was certainly sad and dis- disappointed. Jesus knew joy. Uh, again, emotions aren't sinful in, in and of themselves, but they must be controlled and they must be regulated by the Word of God. And that factors into this discussion as we're talking about especially administering discipline or reproof to to our kids. We're, we're trying to be the example as well in, in how to do that, right? Because we're teaching them uh, not only a lesson with regard to their, their behavior in, you know, poor choices that they may be making or from a positive standpoint, reinforcing good choices that they're, they're making and praising them for that. Uh, but we're also teaching them a lesson about how to administer discipline, right? As they grow and eventually, hopefully, have families of their own. They're learning from us how to administer discipline. They're going to imitate us down the road, and we want we want to do the best we can to give them the best chance in, in that regard to be godly people and to be godly parents when they have families of their own. So, shouting and having an outburst or fit of anger and wrath is sinful, and, and it springs from carnality and, and carnal motives. Just read Galatians five twenty. Uh, 5, 19, and 20, you'll come to the same conclusion. And just as corporal punishment, again, has to be controlled and measured, again, see our, our podcast last week for more discussion on that. But just as that component of discipline has to be controlled and measured, so so does this one. Uh, you know, verbal rebukes and reproof have to be controlled and measured, and we need to choose our words carefully uh, and, you know, our approach and our instruction carefully. And Sometimes verbal correction is very effective, and it's sufficient, and it's all that's needed. Uh, for example, Proverbs 17 and verse 10, A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. So, how you know? however, if our, our children will not submit to verbal rebuke and instruction, uh, then, then I believe it's time that the rod must be used, uh, figuratively speaking. So, Solomon explains... Again, that's not my that's not my thinking, but Proverbs chapter ten and verse thirteen says this a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. And again, stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Proverbs twenty and verse thirty. Uh, so again, we're talking about a balanced approach and we're talking about what's what's needed and we have to use our judgment for the situation and for the child and for the issue that at hand. Uh, there's a lot of specifics that come into play that we can't deal with on, you know, in a, in a 15 or 20 minute podcast. But we have these foundational principles laid down for us here in the Word of God, and we need to pray to exercise, exercise them in wisdom. Um, take for example Eli. Uh, so we'll consider one specific case here in, in Scripture. 
the Eli, the last judge of of Israel, or I guess uh, the next to last one before Samuel. So Eli will forever remain a sad example of parental failure. These things in the Word of God are, are preserved for our knowledge and for our learning. And, and sadly, Eli is one of those those sad examples. So even though he rebuked his sons, even though he rebuked his sons, he failed to take action against their wickedness. Just read First Samuel chapter two, uh, verses twenty two through twenty five specifically. But that that whole context really is about the issue we're discussing. And so, consequently, because he failed to take action against his his sons. Uh, God said to him in chapter 3, in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 13, he says, I'm going to judge his family forever because of the iniquity he knew, he knows about. His sons are defiling the sanctuary, and he has not stopped them. Right. So God expected that parental enforcement from Eli, and it wasn't there. So Eli, but Eli nevertheless uh, did re- rebuke his son. We can go, his sons, we can go and see... Um, his words to them and how he said, this is not good. And I've received this report and so on and so forth. But in, in God's eyes, notice he says, Eli didn't stop them. So it was within his God given right and authority as a high priest, as a judge and as a father, but he didn't stop them. Why didn't he stop them? Well, God knew the reason we go back to chapter two, first Samuel two and verse 29. Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel? And so that teaches us a lesson that shows us that a failure, a failure to follow through with disciplining our children is to set them up as idols. God says you are honoring them you honor your sons more than me. And so we make the same mistake today when we say things like, you know, I just love my kids too much to spank them, right? Or, or too much to discipline them, even if we just open it up and make it more more general. Uh, but that is honoring them and, and really our own wisdom and uh, rather than God's prescription, God's word for handling uh, their their misbehavior. So God is saying, yeah, you, you do love your kids too much. In fact, you love them more than me. And so you're honoring them rather than the word of God, which calls for their chastisement and discipline. So if we hope to avoid the same outcome as Eli, then we have to be proactive in instructing our children. You know, the book of Proverbs presents a model of a godly home in which the father and mother are faithfully instructing their children. And, you know, in those at the beginning of the book, in those 10 introductory discourses we considered previously, and it's been several weeks, I know, but at the beginning of each of those series, we see that it's a father addressing his son in chapter one and verse eight and chapter two and chapter three. In fact, those opening chapters are almost broken up according to those different uh, speeches. You can almost find them chapter by chapter. So in those appeals, he's, you know, in those chapters, he's appealing for his son to commit his life to seeking wisdom. And that's consistent with the overall biblical pattern that's calling parents to diligently impart truth, right? And that's what the father, the writer in Proverbs is doing in addressing his his son, right? He's calling him first in each of those speeches, please pay attention to me. Give your ear uh, to me. Don't forsake your mother's teaching, right? Uh, and and that's what we have to do. We have to have that eagerness and that, and that diligence. You'll, you'll probably remember this 
from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Moses says these words. These words shall be on your heart. And then he explains how they are to be impressed on the hearts of our children. So we can't hope to successfully impart wisdom to our children unless we personally love God's wisdom and are devoting ourselves to His Word. Only then will we have the discipline and desire to have regular Bible reading and study and meditation with with our children. So in all this, God isn't merely saying, control your child's behavior. Training up children in the instruction of the Lord is about shaping their, their character. It's about shaping who they are inwardly, molding hearts by the Word of God as we're striving to impress biblical truth upon them on a daily basis. And so, like Solomon, we should want to prepare our children to be people of God. We want to instill honesty and self-control and generosity and diligence and respect for authority, and we want to model all of those things. But we have to remember fundamentally that all of those things I just described and all of those values are born out of a fear of the Lord. Right, So you don't get those things ultimately as they should be unless one has the fear of God, some understanding of his standard, his objective standard for right and wrong. Right, And then that taken to another, I don't know if we want to call it more fundamental level, but it goes hand in hand with the word of God. Right, So the fear of the Lord that we're hoping to produce those values won't happen by itself. It's produced by the Word of God. Deuteronomy 4.10 Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. So it doesn't happen by accident. And God is telling us that just as you know, faith in him is engendered by the word. I believe all these things go hand in hand. Romans ten seventeen. faith is engendered by the word. It comes by hearing the word. So does this proper uh, reverence for God come from the word. And God says in, in, in that process, we learn, we learn to fear him and giving ourselves to his, his truth. Why? Because it reveals him. It reveals who he is, what he's capable of and his character and his expectations. And so our, our you know our personal example is either going to affirm our convictions and vindicate the truth we're trying to teach to our kids or it's, we're going to be obstacles to that. We're going to undermine every doctrine that we're we're trying to teach them. Every you know teaching moment that comes from from our lips. Right? Do they do they observe the fear of the Lord in us? Do they see I guess the why, do they understand the why we're teaching them what we're teaching them to, to be honest, to be servants, to, to, to be respectful and, and revere authority because ultimately that's what God desires and he is worthy 
of the of those efforts. And so when they see us, our kids, as they observe us, how do we how do we spend our time? How do we manage our money? How do we control our tongues in, in everyday life? Because the, that's what's going to speak volumes to our kids. Have you noticed how many really strict families seem to have problems with their children in, in later years? Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe it's just my personal bias and observation. I don't know. But we can probably think of examples where there's this discrepancy, like there's this wide swing of the pendulum from what appeared to be a perfect child to now a delinquent reprobate. And we we perceive that change, but I don't believe, and I don't think the Scripture is teaching that such changes take place overnight. Right, We're simply seeing the manifestation of the change that took place in the heart a very long time ago and has been taking place in the heart for a long time. Jesus taught in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right, that's our control center. That's where it all begins. And so that's where we're focused, right? That, that inward character shaping, trying to mold the hearts of, of our children. And ultimately, it's their decision they're going to have to make that decision down down the road, but we want to give them the best chance possible. You know, a notable example of this is is the older son in Luke chapter 15. Right? So he was the seemingly model son in in that parable of the prodigal son, right? So you have the younger one who leaves, he wants his inheritance, right? You know the story, he goes, he squanders it and riot is living and he's destitute, he's starving. And then that brings him to his senses, and ultimately he returns in a state of repentance, and he is uh, humble, and he is sorry, and his father forgives him. And then there's the big celebration, right? And then at the at the celebration, we see the older son defiant and self righteous, and so he's this he's supposed to be the model son, right? But he's angry and he's stubborn and he's disrespectful to his father when he should have been rejoicing at his his brother's return. So this was not a sudden unpredictable change in character. It's who he was all along. So the the child who learns that certain things and words and conduct are expected of him can wear a shell of obedience externally, but on the inside they could be seething with rebellion. And that's what we hope to avoid, certainly within ourselves and, and our kids. And our kids can certainly learn that behavior from us. They can learn how to go through the motions. But that's not what we're going for. We don't want the day to come where they throw their cloak aside and then we say, oh, what a sudden change. No, because the truth will be, he, he never truly feared the Lord to begin with. So the teaching which leads to genuine godliness must be teaching that makes children aware of their responsibility to God. Right, and that that he is to be loved and feared, and that comes through reproof and training in righteousness. It doesn't come from just corporal punishment. That's that's enforcing the standards God has has set before us. And but we need to be talking with our kids. You know, just as Moses described in, in Deuteronomy six, this daily pursuit, walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. So, what do you? What do you want most for your children? 
I guess we should ask, what does God want most for our children? And are our desires consistent with that? Does he want beauty, education, uh, status, you know, wealth, you know, th- those kinds of things? Or is his greatest desire that they be people who fear and love him, who revere his word and are students of his word? Well, we know what the answer is. And so what's left for us is to ask, do we desire the same thing? Someone once said, most people deal with their children as if they were born only for the world. They educate them for a time, but they do not educate them for eternity. So let's devote ourselves to training our children to fear God and to walk in his wisdom. Let's pray for them daily. It's it's going to take effort. It's going to take commitment, and we need to be working as a team, moms and dads. But the penalty the penalty is too high, and the reward is too great for us to shirk this all important task. Again, thanks for joining me. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings. <laughs>